please pray with me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gift of your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that we may know you. We thank you, Lord, that we can hear you continue to speak to us, that your spirit brings words of truth and the memory of the things that are true that the apostles shared about you. Lord, I thank you for your presence here today, and I pray that we would discern your voice speaking to us even now. Amen. You may be seated. So we are continuing really with a kind of a part two to uh, the sermon that was started last week uh, with our brother Jim. It was entitled God Speaks, and um, it was a, a wonderful reminder of the way that our Lord is addressing us. He is engaging us, and the whole point of this series is that we have a chance of learning how to engage with him in such a way that it brings about transformation in our lives. And part of that way of engaging with him is through conversation. And God is a God who speaks. He does speak to us. He's spoken to us in the scriptures and, the, and in the prophets and especially in our Lord Jesus Christ who is who's literally called the word. Our God is a communicating God and he speaks. And today I wanted to sort of talk about, well, how is it can, that we can discern that it's him speaking when we, we think we hear him? Um, and I want to suggest that maybe um, the way you could think about it is that God actually guides us even in discerning that it's his voice. So God guides us in discernment of his voice, in discernment of his presence, of the things that we're hearing from him. And he gives us a way to actually hear words from him. And, and the Lord wants us to have words um, that come from him that we can build one another up with. And Paul is really clear about this. He says this at least twice to the church. He says, I want you to make sure that you come with a psalm or a hymn or a spiritual song or a word or something to build up the people. And he sends us, says especially I want you to aspire to have like a prophetic word, like a word of life from God inspired by the Holy Spirit so that you can build one another up. So he really believes that God speaks and that there are words and, and that we can know them and we can have confidence about it. Um, I was part of a ministry for many years. is led by a woman named Leanne Payne, and um, she was very adamant about this. And if you wanted to participate in her ministry, she had, she had regular meetings. We'd sit down in a circle, and she would say, so what has the Lord been saying to you? And what's the word that you will bring to us as a group? And she learned this from her mentor, Agnes Sanford. I'll be referring to her a little bit later. Um, so much of what we learn about how to really hear from the Lord and distinguish his voice comes from those who actually spiritually father and spiritually mother us. And um, Leanne was kind of mothered by a woman named Agnes Sanford, and she was participating in her circle of ministry years before I particip participated in Leanne's. And that she had the same rule. I want you to speak a word, and I want you to listen to the Lord and bring that word to build us up. And... Um, and there was a, a few weeks, I guess, she had been attending Agnes Sanford's little prayer circle, and she had just been silent the whole time. And Agnes said, well, you know, it really, if you're not going to share a word from the Lord, please, you don't, you, maybe you should just not come. <laughs> so she said that was how intense she was. I mean, it seems kind of rude to me, but she was so expectant that, that Leanne was here to hear a word and to share a word. And so she also had some confidence that you could actually discern that this was a word from God. And um, so that happened quite a bit in Leanne's life because of that, and then in my life as well. You know, sometimes I think the Lord speaks very 
directly. And they're, they're very abrupt words that actually create an expression of, of saving grace in a moment. Uh, one of the great stories of um, one of our American lights, if you will, is this guy named uh, Peter Marshall. He used to be, um, before Billy Graham, he was, in a way, the pastor of the nation. And uh, he was the chaplain of the United States Senate. He was just a good, godly man, a faithful man. And early on in his career, he was going back to his home country, which was Scotland. And um, it was a foggy day. And um, I guess he was out on the, on the moors or something like that. And couldn't quite see his way around, but was, was just trying to make his way back home. He's taking this shortcut and through, the, through the country. And he heard loud and clear, Peter! He said, there's nobody here. So he keeps on moving, and then he hears loud and clear again, Peter! And it, it arrests his movement. It stops him. So he gets down on his knees. He just wants to make sure, you know, is there somebody out there? And he realizes there's nothing beneath his hands. And he's on the edge of a cliff. And the Lord had just stopped him, right? It reminds me a little bit of the story of Balaam. Like, God stopped him. He spoke. And Peter heard. That's a real direct word. But a lot of times, I think it's, it's a little bit more, probably a little bit more down to earth, a little bit more like God's really affirming something that's, that's needed in the moment. And it's an expression of love. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, I was praying and I think I was, it was in the morning time, and I, I, and I had that sense, like, I'm, I'm with the Lord. I had a sense of his presence. And then, all of a sudden, I had this picture of a friend of mine. Her name is Sarah. I've known her for many years, and she and her uh, husband, Stuart, are dear friends of ours. They live in Colorado. He's a, they're in ministry. And um, I saw them kind of like in this shadowy context, and I knew that it was representative of something. I didn't know exactly what it meant, but I felt like they were in a, a difficult place. And then I heard the Lord behind me say to Sarah, my little sister, I am taking care of you. Let me take care of you. And, and, and I'm like, whoa, that's, I don't know what that's about. But I, it seemed like a really kind word. <laughs> and... Um, I just sat on it. Uh, you, you know, I'm still struggling to be faithful to share things like that. I've been doing it for years, and yet I still like, well, that's probably just me. You know, I, 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 is that just something that I made up? And maybe Sarah represents something to me, and, and that might have been the case, you know? But over time, as I just lived with that word for a few days, my, the sense of the Lord's love for Sarah was so strong in me that I knew I had to tell her. And so I, I sent it off and I said, I just feel like, you know, I think this might be for you. I have no idea what's going on in your life. We haven't talked for months. And, you know, I don't know if this is going to mean anything to you. All these caveats. <laughs> and then um, I said, but I just felt like it, the Lord was really emphasizing he's your, he's your elder brother. He's your Lord and Savior, but he's also your elder brother. And he's, he's your bigger brother. And he's competent. And he's powerful, and he can take care of you, and he just wants you to take care, uh, let him take care of you. And she said, um, almost immediately, she said, this caught me at the perfect moment, and I am typing with tears, or whatever, texting with tears in my eyes. Thank you for listening to the Lord. And I just realized, you know, sometimes it's really easy to discern the voice of the Lord, because you know it's aligned with a loving word that he would give, you know? So God guides us, and we can have confidence about that. 
But, you know, there's difficulty too, and I want to admit that sometimes, you know, we could actually get things wrong. Jim had this delightful illustration last week about, you know, God is not a trickster. God is not capricious. He's not going to tell you that he wants to speak to you and and make promises about sending the Holy Spirit who's going to bring words to you and then not do it, you know. And you can recognize his voice. And that's partly because God is consistent in who he is. And once you actually really get to know him, you'll recognize his voice. And the more you spend time with him, you'll recognize it with more and more confidence, you know. And my confidence has grown over the years because I had people helping me, but also I began to realize, well, I got to know him. And that's one of the first things that the Lord does is, is he, he brings us into his presence so that we can get to know him, and it's his presence that guides us. It's very similar to what we see with Eli Uh, in our passage from this morning is that God guides him to know him. God guides Samuel to know him. And he begins to be able to distinguish his voice over time. And in fact, Samuel becomes probably, well, he was probably the greatest judge in Israel. And you could say it this way. That means he was the greatest discerner of God's voice. He's the greatest discerner of God's word for his generation. And um, he was a powerful person, not because he was anything great, but because he listened to a God who was great. And that nation was transformed because of, because of that. Um, and it, it was his presence. You know, it was a big, big contrast, by the way. Samuel is in the presence of the Lord, and it makes a difference to him, and he lets it make a difference to him. He's in the presence of the Lord and the Lord speaks and it actually has an effect on Samuel such that he hears it. He doesn't initially recognize and discern that it's exactly God's voice, but he's in the Lord's presence in such a way that God actually can reach him. And um, that wasn't the case with Eli, who was in charge of the temple at the time, or his sons, by the way. Eli had already been given a word, hey, bring your sons into order. That word, God was speaking there weren't many words at that time, but there was one word, and it was, listen to me and honor me in my presence, and your sons are dishonoring me and my presence by, like, stealing stuff from people who were coming to make an offering, basically. And, and, and with the women who were coming to the temple having all kinds of illicit relationships. And so there was lots of things that were really messed up about dishonoring God's presence, being in the temple and yet not being in his presence. And Samuel comes in in that context and he's not like Eli. He's not passive. He's not negligent like Eli. Eli doesn't set his house in order. He actually is responsive to the presence of God and the word when it comes to him. And he's definitely not like Eli's sons who are aggressive in their really antagonism of, of the people, their abuse of their power towards the people. So um, I think one of the first things I want to just emphasize here is that um, it's in the Lord's presence that we begin to recognize him. And so for us, you know, it, it, t- he's literally living in the temple. Samuel's actually living in the temple, and the temple was the place of God's presence. He's actually living right near the place of meeting where 
especially the Lord's presence was, was profoundly manifest. And um, what's true for us, though, is that we're in his presence the moment we're baptized into him, the moment we receive his spirit. It's what Jesus was so excited to make sure that we have is, is his presence ministered to us through his spirit. And it's in a baptismal identity. And it's this gift of the spirit mingled with our spirit that, that brings that word that in a way I already gave to Sarah, just a reminder of who we are. And th that's often the word that he brings most often, isn't it? There was for years, my, my friend Mario, who was in ministry with us with Leanne, was, he was just learning how to listen to the Lord. And he would be really frustrated um, because he kept on hearing God say, you know, Mario, you're my son, I love you. And, um, and he was like, okay, I'll write that down and I'll journal about that. And um, it would, he would listen for a few weeks more and he's, Mario, you're my son and I, and I love you. Thank you, Lord. And he writes it down. And, it, and, it, and again, it happens. It's like, Mario, you're my son, and I love you. And Mario's like, I know. <laughs> I go, I, I, I know. Um, and he says, but you, Lord, can't you say anything else to me? Well, I, I have lots more to say to you, but I'm waiting for you to really know and believe that you're my son, and I love you. And I really want you to receive that. He wants his his son to really be in the identity of the presence of the spirit who says to, in our spirits, to the father, Abba, Father. I mean, it's the spirit in us, Paul says in Romans 8, that confesses that we are sons of God. That's how we know who we are. It's the spirit, it's the presence of God telling us who we are. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, he makes basically of us a temple. And so much of us are just like, we're like Eli. We're not really, it's like, okay, God's speaking, but we're not really giving a whole lot of credence to it. We're kind of with him, but we're not letting it impress itself upon us. It's really not, you know, we're not with him who is with us. But he's present to us. He is Christ with us. And, um, so he often will say, you're my son, you're my daughter, I'm pleased with you, and receive my presence, and receive my pleasure in you, receive my delight in you. Um, and this leads to my second point about how God guides, which is he guides us um, by filling us up with his presence. And it becomes... Um, really transformative when we allow him to do that. Yeah, so much of this is just about God's presence and about us receiving it. The, the first thing is that he's present. I mean, God is present. Even in the temple, there's a little note that says, and the light of the temple had not gone, gone out. I mean, God was still present, although they weren't really paying attention. And then finally, he does pay attention on behalf of Israel, and Israel's changed. And why does he have the capacity and that's the word I want to use. Why does he have the capacity to hear the Lord and to actually experience his presence? And I, I think it's because of, um, you know, it says of Moses that he saw God face to face. He was so in his presence. He got, saw God face to face. He would go into the tent of meeting and have conversations with God face to face. And it says of him that he was the meekest man on earth. He was meek. 
He was humble. Psalm 25 puts it this way, is, is that, you know, the, the reason that you can be guided is because you're humble. God guides the humble. God actually confides in those who fear him. And it's because, I think in some ways, Samuel is this little guy. He's a young, young lad or a young man maybe. And he's meek. He's directable. You can even see that in terms of how he relates to Eli, who's, who's superior over him. He's, he's ready and at attention to do whatever Eli is saying to him. And he doesn't realize that the Lord's revealing him at that point through his word and his presence there. But what he does bring to the equation is his own ability to be filled. He's, he's fillable, if you will. It's his own ability to hear. His ears are open. He brings at least that to the equation. And um, it's because I think he's meek. And what, what does meekness mean? It means, it means that it's not our knowledge that leads to life. It's not our expertise that leads to wisdom. It's not our independent sophistication. It's God. It's his presence. It, when we, we talk about God speaking, it's not, it's not us making stuff up because we're really smart. It has to be the kind of spirit that we see in Samuel that's meek. Like Moses was meek, and like Jesus was humble. Um, in so many ways, I think what, what we learn from the incarnation, and in this passage from 1 John, I think illustrates it too. It's a, if you want to really test the spirits, you wanna, you, one of the ways you do it is that you, it, it has to understand that Jesus came in the flesh, that God became man and dwelt among us. And part of that is to say, like, God really did show up in our human condition. He really did. And if anybody denies that, you know that it's not a word from God. Maybe some kind of weird spirituality or something like that. But you know that if they deny that, it's not a word from God. So that's one way you can know. But I think embedded in that is the great story of Jesus' humility, too. Jesus is God. And he's actually the word that spoke all of creation into being. And he becomes flesh. And that word is a loaded, loaded term in the, in the, in the Bible. It's a, it's a term of vulnerability. It means you can bleed and die. It's another word for humble, really. Humble, hummus, flesh. We're made of vulnerable stuff. And in many ways, the great revelation of God that Jesus brings is that um, he enters into our suffering flesh as a servant, and then he suffers and dies in that flesh, in that humility to reveal himself. And this is so different. It's so different from the world. It's such a different way of being, this humble way of being. I um, reread one of my books on one, of, one little booklet, actually. It's a great little booklet on discernment. And, and it's called God Guides. So I kind of stole my sermon title from Mary uh, Geeg. I don't know exactly how you say it. G-E-E-G-H. And her little booklet is called God Guides. And she describes this situation right at the b very beginning of her, her uh, treatise that she had been in a missionary situation in India for like a year. And 
she had been doing all the talking, is how she describes it. All the talking and all the teaching, and absolutely no fruit was coming. None. And she's like, I'm working really hard, and, and nothing seems to be changing here. And then this, you know, this older, gentle soul comes from her missionary leadership group, and he comes into their town, and he basically lets people know, look, if, if you have a need and you have a want, you see how he's getting at their need and want? There's a, like a capacity thing he's tapping into. Like if you have a need and, you, and a want, I want you to come to the meeting place, and we will see what God has for you. And then this one man comes, only one, this one man comes, and he was one of the troublemakers in the town. He was a, he was a guy who had been committing adultery, he'd, he'd committed, you know, uh, uh, thievery, and he was a real obstacle to kingdom stuff, you might say. He got in the way of it in many respects. But um, he came in, and this older gentle man, it, he hears what this guy is saying about his life and what a mess it is, and he says, well, let's make ourselves quiet before the Lord and let's humble ourselves before the Lord and listen because he will know what to do. He didn't, he didn't play the, the role of the wise elder at all. He just took that person's humility and his own humility and sat it down before the Lord and said, Lord, speak, Lord, your servants are listening, so to speak. <laughs> he did this. And um, the Spirit came down upon this man and so overwhelmed him with love and conviction that it was, it was a transformation. It was a complete reformation of this guy. And his life became a shining witness to the reality of a God who speaks. And that town and that ministry was changed from that point forward. She was reflecting on it and she realized that yeah, she'd been, she'd been operating a lot out of um, kind of an irritated and critical spirit and just pushing, pushing, pushing and hadn't brought that kind of humility and openness to the Lord. I think that's one of the biggest things we bring is we bring a humility and that's why Jesus keeps on comparing the kingdom to a child. His presence is here. We get to interact with his presence when we just bring ourselves in our emptiness and openness to him. And um, it's kind of a, just the truth. It's a beautiful truth because he wants to manifest himself and he does it when we're humble. I don't know how, how to, this seems to me to be so important and so simple that we just ignore it. To bring our basic neediness to him. Again and again, I fail to do this. And maybe it's because I'm like Eli. I'm not really sure it's gonna make any difference. Or maybe it's because I'm like Eli's sons and I think, well, what I really need is I need some good food and I'm going to make it myself and I'm going to get it myself and I don't bring my need in humbleness to the Lord, in openness to the Lord. Man, bringing our needs to the Lord when we really need it, in that crisis crucial moment, his presence is here. Will we let his presence minister to us? Um, there's many stories that Mary tells then about how she learned to listen to the Lord even when it was humbling and humiliating to her. One time she tells a story about the Lord told her to bring an egg to somebody. One egg, though. And it's like, that doesn't, that, it makes more sense to bring like a dozen eggs. One egg. And it's like, well, she's going to think I'm really foolish. One egg. Bring the one egg. 
And so she finally relents and does and brings the one egg. And this person, <laughs> this woman, she, she breaks down in tears. She only had had enough eggs for all of her kids. So she fed all of them and she felt the emptiness and the hunger herself. And that one egg was the perfect thing. And literally, I didn't say this part, the egg had come, a chicken walked into her, her house and laid the egg and she's like, okay, I really do believe, Lord, that you want me to bring one egg. <laughs> Sometimes that's what it takes. You know, it's like, I'm speaking, I'm speaking, plop. <laughs> Will you be humble enough to receive it and then share it? Um, the last thing that I want to say is that the Lord guides us to love and guides us through love. It's really one of the main ways he guides us, and that's sort of where I started when I shared my little story about Sarah. And, um, you know, there's things that God does. He stirs up in our heart little longings. Where is he moving us to that is stirring up the longing in our heart? What is the desire, the love that he's stirring up in us? Um, you know, sometimes... Love is, is actually much more complicated than it seems on the face of it because there's resistance. There's resistance to love in us and there's resistance to love in the world. And um, so it's actually quite a thing to say, I'm going to let love lead and I'm going to let the love of God prompt me. And, you know, when we do that, as it says in First John, the last two verses that, that my dad read, is then, we, then we know that we know God. That's one of the main we, ways that we discern because God is love. And if we don't love one another, then we don't know God. There's a relationship here. So much of this is, again, about relationship. We talk about this a great deal, but he leads us in love. His presence is on the move for loving reasons. How is he on the move in your heart and in your life? And, um, you know, there was this um, story that Agnes Sanford tells when she was first learning how to listen to the Lord she had a, a little baby at the time. She was, um, she was the wife of an of a Anglican priest, and that baby had been sick with an earache for six weeks, and she'd been praying and praying to no avail. And then this, this man, who's a, another pastor, just came in and just very simply and humbly, um, but lovingly, prayed for the baby, and the baby woke up, the fever left, and was fine. <laughs> and she was, a little, she was a little mystified about that. Um, but she realized that as she reflected on the times leading up to that, her heart had been praying in a spirit of bitterness, in a spirit of anger and resentment, and she was shut down. She actually wasn't praying in a way of love. And so she wasn't, she wasn't an open vessel, I guess you could say, for the kind of love that the Lord even wanted to minister in that situation. And, you know, it was a gentle form of saying, look, I just want you to enter into the way of love. Our prayers are powerful when they're motivated by love. And if we notice that there's things like anger or bitterness or resentment in there, well then, notice that and say, Lord, how is it that you would move? Um, because I want to hear from you. And I want to be a vessel of love and of life the way that pastor was to my little baby. Um, you know, and I, I, I think that in some ways, it's sometimes those critical attitudes, there's even something that Mary Geeg, who wrote the booklet, God Guide, she says, it was that critical attitude that was in my, it was in my mind. That, that actually got in the way of my ministry. 
and got in the way of my hearing from the Lord. And it wasn't because God wasn't present, and it wasn't because God wasn't speaking. It's because love was, was, was actually resisted in my heart. I hadn't released my heart in love. Um, she even puts it more strongly. She says, all critical attitudes and irritations are forms of hatred. And that, boy, that would really shut down love, wouldn't it? Um, Agnes Sanford compares it to clogging your plumbing. I've, I've had a little bit of an issue of that this week. You know, I think when we are angry and bitter, it's kind of like being frozen in your pipes. And um, that, that is something that his love can melt. You know, um, there's so many wonderful stories about Agnes Sanford, who was a person of the presence of God and who became a person who could hear from the Lord. She was so convinced that the Lord loved everybody. She would see somebody walk on the elevator and the love in her heart would spring up and she would begin to pray for that person, especially when she was in a hospital and she knew that they were probably burdened with something. And love would just animate a prayer, a spirit of love. God, who is love, would inspire a prayer. And so, you know, she became a person who could really hear from the Lord. There was one time when, I think I've told this story maybe a few years ago, where she was about to get on a plane, and, and like the Peter Marshall story, she clearly heard, don't get on that plane. And so she didn't. She was at a maturity stage in her life where she actually listened to the, the word, and she let it direct her. She was directable. And that plane ended up going down, and it, was, it became part of her, her testimony and, and biography, if you will. And she'd share it, and, and she would also tell, she, and I heard this from Leanne, so I'm, I'm you know, two generations removed from it, so to speak. But she, would, she said that sometimes I would share that story, and people would come up so mad, so mad, because, well, why did God just tell you? Why were you the only one he spoke to? Everybody else went down on that plane. And she would say with great, I mean, like very emotionally, it was upsetting to her because she was so sure that God was speaking to people about not getting on the plane. (laughs) That he was speaking words of health and of healing and of hope and of transformation. She really believed that. And she was a person who could say that God does speak because she heard so many definitive ways that again and again proved to be real. Real cases of God speaking. Over time, she recognized his voice. She spent so much time with him. And um, because she knew him, she could count on it when she recognized his voice. She became such a person of love that she even wanted to see the, the land healed. We talk a lot about the environment these days. But she, she let that love speak in her life it, so powerfully, she actually moved to a house on the San Andreas Fault so that she could pray in such a loving way over that space that the two tectonic plates would resolve themselves with the least disruption possible. (laughs) Because she believed in the God who was present and the God who speaks and the God whose words would make a difference. She believed it. You know, um, I I have one other story that I'll tell about how important it is to let the the promptings of love, and, and when it doesn't happen, to, to notice the things that are resistant to it, right? That's one way that God will guide you, and it's a really important way to learn. When we first came up here, it was on my wife's heart, Jeannie's heart, to um, definitely plant this church. 
which we did, and also to start up another ministry called Christian Youth Theater. We did a show, the very first show. She actually started the county. She spearheaded that whole thing. It had 100 families or 100 kids anyway or something like that. Get involved, get training. And, and you know, at the time, it, uh, there was quite a few people who were saying, you know, you really shouldn't be spending your time doing that. that that's really not what a pastor's wife should do. And th- this happened a few times. Um, Besides, what do you really know about theater? I mean, she was an education person, but she hadn't been a theater person at the time. Now she's like in spades, a theater person. But um, she just had this prompting and like a real conviction in her heart. And it was, it was a labor of love that she did it. The very first show that we did, it was called Susicle. And we just this weekend are doing Susicle again 10 years later. Um, and so it brings forth all kinds of nostalgia for me. And... Um, you know, the, one of the great themes of this, of this musical is that a person's a person, no matter how small. And one of the great characters in, in the show is a guy named Horton the Elephant. And Horton, boy, is he a, a, a wonderful sort of picture of what Jesus is like. Because he, he loves these little who's in Whoville. You can't even see him, but he hears them. And he so loves them, and he's so committed to protecting them. It doesn't matter what kind of resistance comes against him. And there's a lot of resistance. And, and um, what really touched me yesterday is that um, I was talking to a brand new executive director of the entire CYT ministry. We just hired. I happened to be on that board. And he was there, and it just hit me what it meant to me that my wife listened to the promptings of love those many years ago. Because I was, as I was telling Jerry, it's like, you have no idea, Jerry. This, this captures for me why I'm so glad that Jeannie listened to the prompting of love in her heart many years ago. Because the guy who plays Horton, his name is Kevin. And Kevin came to CYT, it, it might have been close to like 10 years ago. He didn't know the Lord. He'd lost his father in a car accident. He didn't have a father. And, um, and he was shy and he was kind of introverted, and, but something happened along the way. He met Jesus, and it began to open his heart. And I remember the first time he ever had a lead, he was actually, he played Geppetto in Pinocchio, and Geppetto sings all these things about what it's like to be a real father, and how when a father really loves his children, they, get, they become real. And I'm thinking, this kid is ministering this to me in such a beautiful way, such a reflection of the love of God, and he didn't have a father. And he is portraying an expression of love like a father would. And yesterday, he's singing these songs, a person's a person no matter how small, and I'm thinking, he is so ministering the presence of Jesus and his love here. And um, I'm so grateful for that that Jeannie listened to the prompting of love, that, that, um, that Kevin, in his need and humbleness, actually listened to the Lord and listened to the word of love and began to minister that to so many people. And then, to me, yesterday, I'm like realizing this and I'm celebrating it, I'm sharing it with this new executive director and I said, that's what this is about. Yes, theater, schmeter, whatever, but this is really what it's about. That we learn to listen to the Lord and live in his presence and express his love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.